it just continues. My, oh my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Sue Bird's building. You bet. She's on punches right now. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. I am your host, as always, Charles Hammaker, here with you um, as we, wow, we're we're uh, about on the 20th of December. It's obviously the 19th. Close enough, is my point being. Um, you can see, you know, still still riding solo here. Um, Bell uh, could be joining us soon, so again, but the, the, the point is that um, when she feels ready, uh, she'll return to the show. Again, I don't want to... Uh, stress anybody into coming back sooner rather than uh sooner uh when they don't necessarily feel comfortable in doing so so a good amount of uh things to look at here you know obviously our seahawks and kraken continue to roll through their regular seasons um one team searching uh at the end of the season for some late wins to get them into the playoffs another one still sort of building the foundation for a potential playoff run uh, as the nhl regular season continues we have some community related news in regards to our storm the sounders uh, made a couple signings as uh, the offseason continues and we have some news about the club world cup and a final destination on that as i know that's been something that's kind of been played around with and uh, maybe it's in Abu Dhabi. Maybe it's not even happening. There was a report about it taking place in the States. It won't be taking place in the States. Um, and then at the end of the video, I want to talk about something. Uh, we hit 500 followers on Twitter, uh, which, you know, it's not the biggest thing. And Twitter's having its own issues. Um, but it's it's still a milestone considering that uh, it's not to the date, I don't believe. But about three years ago, I started the Circling Seattle Sports podcast, just a little podcast. And we talked strictly about Seahawks games. Um, and then it really started to build from there. And now we're the only outlet here in, this, in Seattle that covers every single professional sports team in Seattle as equally as the next. So uh, taking that all into consideration, getting all of that out of the way. It's funny because it's a great segue as we move into our Seahawks segment, which another tough one here. Uh, I know that we were looking for some good news as we headed uh, into this rivalry game. It was going to be a tough game, um, as all division games are, but this 49ers team is stacked with talent top to bottom, and that was displayed throughout the course of this game. So December 15th, versus the San Francisco 49ers Thursday night football. The Seahawks were wearing their action green tops and their navy blue bottoms. Seattle would lose that one 13-21 in just a tough game. Um, Seattle played well to an extent, but some mistakes throughout the course of the game helped San Francisco uh, ultimately come out with the victory here. Really quickly, we'll take a look at the inactive list. Um, 
for this game, offensive tackle Jake Curran, running back Tony Jones Jr., running back DJ Dallas, defensive tackle Al Woods. So Woods is still dealing with an injury. And then quarterbacks Artie Burns and Trey Brown. So interesting to see Brown just a few weeks relatively after he had been seen as you know good to go. Not able to go in this one in a key matchup, or maybe he was a healthy one. Um, so for offensive player of the game, I went with Geno Smith. Uh, Gino had a pretty solid game statistics wise, completing 31 of his 44 attempts on the day, 268 passing yards, uh, one passing touchdown to Noah Fant and 18 rushing yards. Just compared to the general uh, state of the offense as a whole in this game, there wasn't too much going on. I mean, there were some solid receiver numbers. Um, there was no real running game to speak of, unfortunately, because Seattle didn't really run the ball that often. Uh, Kenneth Walker was back in this game, but he really wasn't able to establish himself. Uh, funny enough, considering this is the Pete Carroll offense, but no, he wasn't able to establish himself enough. Um there was no running game going and that 49ers front seven is tough as it is. So that played a factor as he had only 47 yards. The really leading receiver was Tyler Locker with 68 uh, receiving yards at the end of the day, you know, going with Gino, Gino has been a, a model of consistency for this team. And it's hard to ask of much more, you know, at, again, at, at the beginning of the season, <clears throat> we didn't expect this Seattle team. I think I picked Seattle to win seven games. We're here now, which, you know, sure, great. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, uh, happy with the sort of level of consistency he's shown, the pocket presence he's been able to display, uh, while also being a leader, being able to grow, and showing off a 90.9 QB rating in this game, that wasn't too bad. On the defensive side of the ball, I went with Quandre Diggs. The free safety had seven total tackles, three solo tackles, one pass deflection, and one quarterback hit. And he did drop an interception that hit him right between the numbers, which is a key factor in this game, and we'll talk about that um, right now. So, you know, we look at this game uh, – we look at we go back to week two. We go back to week two when these two teams matched up down in San Francisco. Well, Santa Clara is where Levi Stadium is. Uh, Seattle is coming off of their week one win against the Broncos. The offense looked a little good in, in the, the Denver game. So there were questions of, oh, maybe this offense is going to be good. Uh, that didn't start in week two. Seattle was grounded and uh, the only real offensive points that they got were on a Tariq Woolen uh kick return uh blocked field goal return my apologies um and the offense just seemed directionless they seemed like they weren't headed in any any sort of particular way couldn't get much going on at all and again this 49ers defense is stacked with talent and has been for years john lynch uh, as their general manager has done a great job i wish he would have stayed in the broadcast booth and away from the 49ers because he's been a big factor in the reason that they're such a good contending team um it's not like we can do much about that now to get to this game, you know, you obviously had to improve from that week two matchup. You know, you you generally build to win games in your division. And it's it's funny enough because the 49ers are built like the Seahawks used to be with that really strong, really physical flying to the ball defense. Um Seattle had no run game in this. There was no really call, no calling card on defense. It could have been that inter interception that hit Quantra Jigs right in the chest. Um, you're losing nose tackles to injury left and right. Tyler Lockett now goes down with an injury that we'll get into when we get to the injury news segment. There's no real easy path to the playoffs, considering that you need generally outside help 
to get into the postseason. Um, they're, they're, they're generally getting punched in the mouth, and there's not much time left uh, in order for them to start punching back. Um, it, it's, it's great to get Ken Walker back from injury, uh, but at the end of the day, in this one, you didn't run the ball enough. It really felt like I believe he had 14 attempts. I can look. He uh, only had 14 attempts. If we look at the first few drives of Seattle, punt, 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 field goal, fumble, punt, and that's the end of the half. That's your first half. That just can't happen. You know, three points in the first half would be fine. Uh, but, you know, three plays, uh, you go three and out uh, on your second possession of the game, and then the 49ers are able to score a touchdown, um, 86 yards. Just, you know, it's it's – Again, you're playing an offense with George Kittle. Uh, you know, I know that they're dealing with some injuries right now. They still have Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Brock Purdy's in there, and Brock Purdy was a little bit banged up going into this game. He was kind of seen as somebody who uh, they weren't sure about on the injury report. He still played in this game, and he still he was he was good. I'm going to say it. He was good. Um, you know, a fumble in this game uh, right before the half. By Travis Homer on just a little dump off caused by uh, I believe it's Trey Greenlaw. Um, yeah, Trey Greenlaw uh, gave the 49ers the ball in Seattle territory um, on a nice return. Uh, yeah, 40 yard return right before the half. So the 49ers get the ball back at the uh, beginning of the second half too. So for them to Turn that ball over right before half. You're looking for some points. You're only down by four points, and you want to n- limit or negate the chance that the 49ers are going to get the ball um, before the half because they're already getting it. Just ended to have that fumble, just bad. And then the 49ers scored in two plays um, off of out of the first out of the second half on a George Kittle 54 yard touchdown off of blown coverage. Uh, it was a three deep blue. And Tariq Woolen missed his assignment, I believe is what he said. He owned up to it uh, to Pete Carroll after the game. Uh, a couple of missed tackles. Quandre Diggs missed a tackle. Cody Barton missed. I, I don't even know if you can call it a tackle attempt, honestly. Um, and that was just ugly. Seattle responded with a field goal. Then it was a bunch of punts. Um, Seattle would get a touchdown with one minute and 25 remaining, uh, but they couldn't stop the 49ers. Uh final drive to get the uh to end the game uh there was a bad challenge by pete carroll uh, as brock purdy slid for a first down and it was just it was it was a frustrating game considering the fact that your offense was so stagnant and that your defense um your defense was put in some tough positions because they did play a relatively good game uh that 54 yard george kittle touchdown uh after the first half after the after halftime wasn't a good example of that and and Quandre Diggs getting hit with uh, in the chest with an interception that could have given Seattle uh, the ball in better field position for a drive obviously affects that as well. Um, but the offense had to be better in this one. It simply had to be better. Kenneth Walker gets 12 carries, averages 3.9 yards per carry. Uh, you run the ball a total of 14 times this game. 44 attempts for Gino. Gino, you know, I, I talked about his pocket presence and he's been just a solid, a model of consistency for this team. But I don't think this is a Seahawks offense that should run the ball. I mean, pardon me, should pass the ball 44 times uh, in a game. I just don't. Um, so, you know, uh, it, it was a frustrating game. And now it's it's tough to see where you go from this point in the season. 
you've got three games left. It starts next week. Well, this upcoming week, I apologize, on Christmas Eve uh, in Kansas City against this Chiefs team. And you could feel good about it. You know, the Chiefs were pushed to overtime uh, by the Houston Texans. Um, but there's a lot of talent on that offense. And I don't know how that defense, uh, how the Seahawks defense is going to be able to hold on um, against that offense. You know, Patrick Mahomes, Jerick McKinnon's been playing well. Isaiah Pacheco has been playing well out of the backfield in a sort of gadgety type of role. They still have, you know, the likes of Michael Hardman, Travis Kelsey. Who's going to cover Travis Kelsey on the Seahawks defense? I, you know, so it's, it's not going to be, uh, an easy contest, but maybe the fact that the Texans push them to the limit makes you feel a little bit better about that. Uh, we're going to look at a quick sort of roster move uh, over the past week. On the 15th, the team elevated running back uh, Godwin Igwobike from the practice squad. He got some run uh, returning kicks, as you can see in that photo, and I believe he did the same thing. He, he was used in the same role uh, this week. So that's the... Just about the only roster move that took place over the past week. We look over to injury-related news, and this is when some some things pop up. On the twelfth, uh, there was an Al Woods update before this game. He doesn't have an Achilles tear, fortunately, but it's an old injury, and he the it wasn't ruled out that he could play on Thursday. You saw that when we went over the inactives list, he wasn't active for that game. So we go to injuries sustained against the 49ers, and this is what things get ugly. You know, this team Seattle's already been banged up throughout the year. You know, Ken Walker has dealt with injury. Rashad Penny's out for the year. Uh, DJ Dallas was out in this game. Uh, uh, we already went over the sort of running back issues that they've had. It's, uh, you know, as, as I've talked about in, with the uh, nose tackles, the nose tackles have been banged up. Jamal Adams is out for the year. So we get to the injuries to stand against the 49ers. Defensive tackle Brian Monet left the game in the first quarter with a knee injury. He has a season-ending knee injury. Knee cert, knee injury, pardon me, and will require surgery to repair that. So no Brian Monet. Um, middle linebacker Jordan Brooks left the game in the third quarter and did not return with a neck injury. And Pete Carroll did not have any clear indication on what that means, um, which ah, neck injury, Seahawks and neck injuries. That's not it's not a good track. You know, you look at Chris Carson and Cam Chancellor. It's I, I, you, you don't want to get ahead of yourself right now. Um but it doesn't. That's not a good sign. When any neck injury is not a good sign, and especially when there's no clear indication on what that is. Um, so, still sort of hoping to get positive impact, positive news about Jordan Brooks, uh, Tyler Lockett. We talked about Tyler Lockett last week with Walter Payton Man of the Year. Uh, Tyler Lockett broke a bone in his finger. Lockett himself said he was going to try to be back in two weeks. Ian Rappaport uh, said that he could only miss one. He could potentially only miss one game. Pete Carroll didn't sound so optimistic. Uh, Lockett is having surgery on that finger and has a chance to get back quickly based on early feedback. But considering the fact that there are only three weeks left in the season for the Seahawks that are guaranteed, it's it's not a good look so far. Um Looking at the Seahawks wide receiver position, you know, obviously there's DK. Marquise Goodwin has played well throughout the course of the season. Um, you know, you'd love for uh, this to be a chance for a guy like D. Eskridge to step in, but we've talked about that before too. So it's it's not a good look just considering the fact, you know, you look at Tyler and that injury. And Tyler, again, I talk about Geno being a model of consistency. Look at Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett has been a go-to guy, not only on the field, but in the locker room and as a human being. So, you know, you look at all of that and 
it's it's really tough to see him suffer an injury. And with Jordan Brooks and a neck injury, what does that mean for him? You know, let alone the Seahawks. But a neck injury, you know, impacts all, your life as a whole. So um, we're going to try to move over to league news here. Uh, December 13th, Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray tears his ACL. So the Arizona quarterback is out for the rest of the season. Things continue to be tough down for the Cardinals. Odell Beckham will likely sign with the team in 2023. Several teams believe that OBJ will wait to join a new team in order to be the prize of the free agent wide receiver class. On the 14th, it was announced that the Broncos are planning a $100 million uh, stadium upgrade package. The Broncos empower field at mile high stadium will undergo a significant upgrade ahead of next season. Also on the 14th, Cardinals GM, Steve Keim will step away. Um, Kime is taking an indefinite health-related leave of absence from the team. There's there's some uh, speculation about this uh, relating to hard knocks. I'd talk about it more, but you know this is we, we'd have to do another show on that. Um, and then on su- on Saturday, pardon me, not Sunday. We had we have Saturday games going on now as we hit the late part of the season. The largest comeback in NFL history took place. So down at the half, thirty three points. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings stormed back to beat the uh, Indianapolis Colts 39 to 36 in overtime. Uh, they also secured the NFC North division uh, with that victory. Just 33 points, man. You know, it's, you know, you look at two of the biggest comebacks in this, uh, in this game. Uh, Matt Ryan was a quarterback for the Falcons in the 28 three Super Bowl blown lead. And now Matt Ryan was the quarterback in the 33 point, uh, blown lead for the Colts here in this game. It was funny in the Kraken locker room. Uh, they had practice on Saturday, was there for that, and you could hear a bunch of the guys talking about this game. Uh, Will Borgen was actually Will, Be- Will Borgen's a Minnesota native, and he was screaming, what are you doing uh, during this game? So I'm sure he's happy that that ended the way that it did. Uh, enough talking about the other teams in this league. We look at our Seahawks upcoming, as I mentioned. Um the Seahawks now sit at a seven and seven regular season record. They are second in the NFC West and currently in the playoff hunt. They are on the outside looking in. They're looking in from the glass window and who knows if they'll be allowed in. It's up to them. Truly. Um, their next matchup is December 24th at the Kansas City Chiefs with a 10 a.m. Pacific time start. That is a Saturday. And yes, that is a 10 a.m. start. So uh, Seattle going to be on the road probably in cold uh, cold conditions and starting on a early morning game for us. So uh, we're going to have to see about that and see what's going to go on here uh, because it's going to be a big game. Um, switching over to our Mariners news, not too much going on. I know the last few weeks we have had some news with, you know, Pete Woodworth being named MLB's coach of the year uh, and a bunch of other stuff. This is just a, a report, you know, with the off season and with free agency and because we are who we are, we're going to report on it anyway. Um, but it's funny because part of it now, there's two players involved in the speculation. One of them's re- uh, resigned with their current team. So it doesn't matter as much. Um, the Mariners reportedly had interest in outfielders last DH, Michael Brantley, as well as outfielder AJ Pollock. The, uh, the team reportedly has made an offer to Pollock uh, as the Dodgers are interested as well. But AJ Brantley has resigned to the Astros on a one year, $12 million deal. So that's sort of out of the picture now. Um, You know, we had this little segment in the league notes of free agency about the Mariners missing out. We'll continue that. Um, 
shortstop Carlos Correa signed a 13-year, $350 million deal with the San Francisco Giants. You heard me right. I said 13 years. 13 years. You know, I, I, I've looked at, you know, you look at a lot of these deals, and there's a couple more in here that I'll, I'll mention as well. Um, but 13 years, I mean, do you honestly expect him to uh, positively contribute to your ball club for 13 years, let alone 10, let alone maybe seven? Um, it, it's, it's really interesting. I'm sure there's some of it, uh, that plays into it is the money. Um, and that would make some sense, but I just don't, yeah, 13 years. Ah, geez. Uh, starting pitcher, Carlos Rodon signed a six year, $162 million deal with the New York Yankees. Second baseman, Adam Frazier signed a one year, $8 million deal with the Baltimore Orioles. So live, I apologize. Uh, that that happened you know it's tough uh one year eight million dollar deal is a is, is a good deal for a infielder that is looking to relatively have a bounce back year he's primed to do so considering that the shift is being banned and he joins a good orioles team a good organization that's primed to be successful again this year uh, i know they just barely missed out on the playoffs so for for uh to put it this way he's in safer he's in good hands all right not safer he's in good hands um Shortstop Dansby Swanson signed a seven-year, $177 million deal with the Chicago Cubs. So, again, seven years for Swanson, six years for Rodon, 13 years for Correa. It's, it's a lot, you know, and, and to go back to it, Rodon was a guy that I wanted to sign last year in the offseason. Uh, he signed with the Giants inevitably. But the point continues to be made that the biggest free agent deal that Jerry DePoto has given out was the deal to Anori Aoki, um, which which isn't a good sign if you remember that name. So um, there's nothing against Aoki necessarily. It's just, you know, the fact that it was when it was and it was the amount that it was. Um, for those who don't know, we'll, we'll pull it up just to be, just so I don't sound like, what is he talking about? What Anori Aoki deal? I'll save you the time. I'll save you the Google search. Um, contract, Seattle Mariners. It's, 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 I know that, you know, again, we've talked about it before. It was a one year, $5.5 million deal. Oh my God. Um, yeah, one year's one year, 5.5 million. I know that a lot of people have wanted to, uh, just want to splash. They want to like, oh, sure, give Correa that sort of contract. But I know that DePoto has talked about in press conferences. Justin Hollander has talked about it in press conferences as well, that they want to build this team the right way and they don't want to jeopardize their future by doing so. Um, I'm sure that there are guys that they would have liked to take runs at. Um, I know they've talked about, you know, they've been rumored about Conforto. Uh, Now they're one, they're not one of the teams that's listed when I see who's talking about Conforto. Um, you can talk about Brantley. Brantley resigns. Uh, JD Martinez was in Seattle if, if, like a week ago, and he just signed a one-year, ten million dollar deal with the LA Dodgers. Would you give him that deal? I wouldn't give him that deal. Um, there have been reports that maybe Seattle's saving money until next year for Shohei Otani. At the end of the day, Depoto, you know the moves that have been made. I trust this front office. But it does make you really wonder in the current state what's going to go on. We are in December. Granted, it's getting to late December. You know, you're looking for spring training coming up in that roster when that'll be there. Um, I'm sure it'll be different than where we are right now. I don't imagine that the Mariners stay where they are right now. I mean, you look at you look at the starting field: Cal Raleigh, you know, Eugenio Suarez, J.P. Crawford, Colton Wong, Ty France. 
some combination of Jared Kelnick and Sam Haggerty, Julio Rodriguez, and Teoscar Hernandez. Or as my friend Nick likes to call him, Teoscar, which is very wrong. And we're going to, I just thought it was a funny part to include. Um, and then you've got to have someone DH. So whoever's not starting in left field gets to DH effectively. Um, if you want to, you go out and sign another, you sign a corner outfielder. Uh, you still need to sign another corner infielder who can rotate to give Gino days off and to give Ty days off, uh, hoping that neither of them gets injured. You maybe would like to sign some more bullpen help. So there's there's things to be done and there's moves to be made. Also considering the fact that we may get some uh, players that come up uh, through the minor league systems to fill those holes. Cade Marlowe might be a candidate for that corner outfielder role. You know, I know there's some pitching uh this this franchise has some great pitching uh, depth within the organization, and maybe they dig into that. We'll have to see ultimately. But it is, I I won't go into full like angry panic mode. But it is something to note uh, that the Mariners have been as quiet as they have in terms of signing free agents. Um, and the last sort of league note that we have for you here is that the Dodgers are reportedly interested in in center fielders via trade. That list includes Brian Reynolds. Alec Thomas, Dylan Carlson, and Jared Kelnick. Isn't that interesting? I would say no, unless they're giving you something crazy. But that's just me. I've been a Jared Kelnick truther since uh, a long time. So looking ahead, again, there's not too much to look ahead to, and it's necessarily except for the fact that pitchers and catchers do report for spring training on February 14th of 2023. So mark your calendars, start the countdown, whatever you'd like to do. But certainly we're looking forward to that as well. Uh, transitioning over to our storm here, we have some team releases, uh, a team released community impact numbers award uh, list here. So, uh, oh boy, you're going to see this live. We're switching the hats. Here we go. So, um, on December 16th, the team announced uh, community impact numbers, uh, stating that they have impacted 6,000 plus youth, donate, uh, raised and donated $361,000 plus to 17 nonprofits through Force for Change, uh, raised 444,500 plus uh, in auction packages, donations value through Storm Cares, uh, $10,000 plus dollars raised. For Seattle Children's uh, Gender Clinic during Pride Month, $100,000 raised for Black Future Co-op Fund by Kicks for Equality, which is good to see. I know the Black Future Co-op Fund has their uh, deal with the oil rain, and there's that relationship there. Uh, $38,000 plus raised to local minority-owned business through a partnership with Intentionless, Intentionless as well, uh, oil rain partnership there. And 585 youth participated in their clinics and camps. So, you know, I, I know that, you know, we uh, with the storm, we talk about how big um, the offseason is for them. You know, we got the schedule a few weeks ago, talked about Brianna Stewart winning a Clio Award uh, last week. Um, but, you know, you look at if you follow the storm on social media, um, or even at the games, you know, you see what they do for the community. They do have that, you know, and to see them doing so, you know, for the kids, you know, raising money, you know, for the Black Future Co-op Fund, for local minority-owned business, having the youth participate in camps, you know, getting getting kids to come out to play these games and inspire them to play these games and having the players there so they can have that representation. Um, impacting 6,000-plus youth in the Seattle area. That's great to see. Obviously, you know, year by year, you'd like to see these numbers increase gradually. Um, but it's great to see the storm, uh, you know, at least tell us this, because a lot of the time, you know, you see um, 
these teams in the community and they they're doing the stuff or they post about they're doing the stuff but seeing numbers to it is is great to see the progress of that as well so we will have a quick league notes here uh, obviously the last few weeks and earlier in the year we had our Brittany grinder updates you know glad that Brittany is finally home um, on December 15th, Griner made an Instagram post, uh, essentially thanking all the folks that helped her through the tough times, uh, thanking President Biden and the administration for helping get her back. But so there was some questions about if she intends to play. And that was something I believe I talked about uh, in the Brittany Griner update segment last week uh, about saying, who knows, maybe she takes some time off. Maybe it's a wait and see. Uh, the WNBA star says that she intends to play with the Mercury next season in her first public statement since the release from Russia. So Griner will be back in the league, one of the more dominant players in the WNBA. Um, it was it's, it's, it's tough going up against Brittany Griner, you know, when you look at the matchups for the Storm, uh, if you think about it from that standpoint. But just from a human being standpoint, it'll be really cool to see Brittany back out there. And I'm sure throughout the league and throughout the season, she'll get a great reception. So really looking forward to that. Um, and the storm season as well but that'll be that'll be great to see and, and just happy for Brittany um that she's able to you know that she feels comfortable making that decision but obviously i know maybe as the season goes on or approaches it might be tougher to get back into that rhythm so again just hoping that she's able to take it day at a time um we look over to our Seattle Sounders here who made three signings, uh, three moves, pardon me, uh, over the past week, as well as finding out about the Club World Cup. So firstly, on December 13th, the team signed goalkeeper Jacob Castro. The Sounders FC Academy product signed a one-year deal with the club option, uh, club options, pardon me. For 2024 through 2026, Castro now becomes the 21st homegrown player in Seattle Sounders FC history. Uh, he recently finished a collegiate career at San Diego State, having previously been at the University of Washington, where he was a two-time All-Pac-12 selection. Castro, now 22 years old, joined the Sounders FC Academy in 2017 and made four appearances for the Tacoma Defiance as an amateur. He wanted to play at Washington for two seasons before ultimately transferring to San Diego State, where he earned those all Pac-12 honors in the 2021 and 2022 seasons. The Spanaway native became the first Aztec goalkeeper since 2006 to be named to that all Pac-12 first team in 2021 after starting all 17 of their matches and allowing just 16 goals with seven total shutouts. He earned a All-Pac-12 second-team honor in the 2022 season after recording three shutouts through 16 starts. Before he joined the Sounders Academy, Castro earned All-State honors as a junior at Spanaway Lake High School, where he also played wide receiver for the football team for two seasons. So just looking at that, it's cool to see uh, a local guy um, join the Sounders. I mean, 21st homegrown player uh, in Sounders FC history. And, you know, the... It, it makes you think a little bit about the goalkeeper situation, just considering, you know, Stephen Fry, Stephen Cleveland, maybe Castro gets some impact there. I know Andrew Thomas, uh, essentially the third goalkeeper got, had some uh, injury concerns at the end of the season there. Um, but it's, it's nice. It's always nice to see the homegrown player signings, um, especially the guy who was a Husky at one point. Um, I hope there's no Ill, Ill connotation there because, you know, as, as a Husky and I mentioned the Husky part, but obviously he transferred. I digress. Um, but no, it, it, it's really cool to see that. And I, I'm sure that uh, we'll see Castro a lot with the Tacoma Defiance uh, next season as the Defiance look to really uh, build off of an, 
a really strong season this past year um, as they played at Starfire. Uh, but again, just at least for me as a local guy, it's cool to see um, the homegrown player signings all the time. It's awesome. Um, on the 14th, just a day later, uh, the Sounders would re-sign forward Freddie Montero. So I know that we've talked about Montero, uh, his option being declined, but the team still discussing with him a contract. Um, so on the 14th, that uh, materialized. The team signed Montero to a one-year deal for the 2023-23 season. Um, oops. Uh, 2023 season. He's the club's all-time leading goal scorer, if you didn't know. He returns to Seattle after tallying eight goals across all competitions this past ML, this past 2022 year. Uh, it'll mark the Colombians' seventh overall season with the Grave Green, having spent a stint from 2009 to 2012, and now 2021 uh, to the present, where he has tallied 76 goals and 51 assists across all competitions. Uh, general manager and chief soccer officer Craig Weibel had this to say about Montero. Freddie continues to prove that he is a valuable player for our team, both on and off the field. On top of being a fan favorite, Freddie is a reliable goal scorer, as uh, demonstrated in his decorated career around the world. We welcome his skill, experience, and veteran leadership in 2023. The 35-year-old Montero originally joined the Sounders back uh, during its inaugural season in the MLS in 2009 and immediately established himself as a scoring threat, tallying 12 goals across all competitions in his first year with the club. He notably scored in the 2009 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup final, uh, helping the Sounders win their first major trophy in the first year uh, in MLS. He led Seattle in scoring each year from 09 through 11 and recorded double-digit goal totals in each of his four seasons in Seattle. After he had an eight-year absence that saw him play in Colombia, Portugal, China, and Vancouver, he did return to the Sounders in 2021, uh, where he added 16 goals to his franchise record total. Montero scored three goals during Seattle's title-winning 2022 CONCACAF Champions League tournament run while filling in for injured starting striker Raul Ruiz Diaz. In addition to his club's uh, record 76 goals across all competition, he does rank second in club history with 51 assists. So at least in the Montero deal, it's nice to see Freddie rejoin the year, uh, the team. It's a one-year deal. It's a low-impact signing necessarily. You get a veteran presence that's been with the club uh, that, you know, has made an impact last year uh, in, the last, in the last few years. Um, but I know Seattle is still looking for a sort of backup striker, uh, an impact addition to this club um in this offseason that is up to craig weibel and the staff um but it, it's nice to see freddie back you know especially considering it's a one-year deal uh he, when he gets up there you know, in terms of age um well i don't want to say that you don't necessarily want to give him a longer deal than a year uh, with 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 Montero, I think a year-to-year basis is a good thing there, uh, and I'd leave it at that. Uh, and then the final move for our Sounders over their past week on December 15th, the club traded forward Sam Adeniran to St. Louis SC. This was a surprising move to some. Uh, Seattle received $100,000 in 2023 general allocation money uh, and up to an additional $100,000 in 2024 general allocation money. The Sounders announced that they traded Adeniran to St. Louis SC in exchange for that money. Uh, that additional money in 2024 is if certain performance metrics are met. Seattle also retains a percentage of a future transfer fee through 2025. With this trade, Seattle's roster sits at 26 active players. Now, this was, I understand being a... Uh, confused by this move uh Adeniran, you know was loaned out to uh, i believe it was san antonio and usl 
and they won a championship. Um, and Adeniran was part of that. Um, and it was looked at. He's a young forward. You know, he he was he was kind of not. It was bored with the competition, uh, with the defiance, and so they loaned him to San Antonio. Um, I don't necessarily see. I can understand the trade. Um, you know, you get that allocation money fine. Maybe it's a build up for another player uh, that you're looking at in a different time here. Maybe you didn't have the best. You didn't have the most concrete plans for Adonir and going forward. Uh, you know, I just talked about a backup striker. You. Well, Edenirans fit more as a wing when he's played with the Sounders. I know that St. Louis SC has talked about using him as a striker, um, but I don't know. It's an interesting move. Ultimately, you know, the moves that will follow this one will help dictate what happened here. Um, will help not dictate, but help give a better answer to what happened here. Uh, but certainly, it is it is interesting just to take a look at this and wonder why it happened. In the grand scheme of things, I guess. Um, anyway, moving on from that, we do have club World Cup information um, that kind of went back and forth. So, again, I, there's been talk about it not even happening. There was some minor rumors that it would take place here in the United States. Um, December 14th, FIFA informed Real Madrid that the Club World Cup would take place from February 1st through 11th in Abu Dhabi. And then we found out on December 16th that the uh, Club World Cup will take place in Morocco. So on the 16th, FIFA announced that the 2022 FIFA World Cup, uh, Club World Cup, pardon me, is being held in Morocco from the 1st through 11th uh, of February in 2023. So that part was right. Uh, that part was accurate. The seven-team tournament features the Champions League winners from each confederation around the globe, in addition to a representative from the host nation. Sanders FC is the first MLS side to participate in the competition, with Mexican clubs representing CONCACAF in all but one of the previous iterations of the tournament. Deportivo Saprissa from Costa Rica took part in the tournament back in 2005. Uh, this will mark the third time that Morocco has hosted the competition, uh, having done so previously in 2013 and 2014. Uh, Sounders general manager and chief soccer officer Craig Weibel uh, had a quote saying it's with great privilege that we now prepare to head to Morocco for such a thrilling opportunity on top of the chance to play some of the world's best clubs I can't think of a better way to prepare for the 2023 campaign that also includes a dynamic international competition in Leagues Cup we look forward to working with FIFA and competing with our fellow clubs in Morocco so I'll drop the banner on you here for you what do you think the Sounders will make any noise or not in the Club World Cup? It'll be interesting. Um, again, this also falls on whether or not the Sounders make certain moves to put them in a position of uh, being uh, good enough to really compete in the Club World Cup. You know, getting Joe Paolo back from injury will be huge. Uh, having the side just having the side healthy is the first thing. But how they're able to gel this year after not looking like they could be consistently uh, cohesive throughout the last season is a big deal as well because you've got, again, you've got a largely uh, returning cast for the 2023 season from 2022. Um, again, you'd like to add to that and just generally be better. Um, but, you know, considering that you've got this returning cast, you're going to have to be better from within. It's going to have to take the guys that are in that locker room to get better um, because of themselves. They're not, you know, it's not like you got this a large amount of money that you're going to splash on a transfer. I don't imagine um, it's going to have to come from this veteran leadership group that's been together for years uh, and the other players that have been a part of this squad for years. So 
that's something to watch. I, I say the Sounders might take a game here, but um, outside of that, I, I can't really see necessarily too much else going on for the Rave Green um, in the Club World Cup. So we will now head over to our Seattle Kraken here, who played three games over the past week, ended a tough East Coast road trip against some damn good hockey teams, um, and returned home last night with a victory. So, um, well, returned home last night to get a victory. Uh, so we look at December 13th at the Tampa Bay Link. Lightning was a brutal 6-2 to loss. Seattle adding a goal at the end of the game there to make that a little less bad. Uh, player of the game for us, forward Jared McCann. McCann had the first goal of the night, 1.3 shots, two takeaways. So it, it, Tampa Bay is a really good team. There's a reason that they've won two of the last three Stanley Cups, um, and they were deep into the playoffs last year uh, as well. Uh, Seattle just started this game out poorly and Tampa, you know, you can't really do that against Tampa Bay. You can't really have that sort of uh, really poor start against the lightning team that will come out. You wave after wave line after line and has Andre uh, Vasilevsky in goal. So that was just an ugly one. Seattle has not yet beat Tampa Bay in their uh, NHL existence on December 15th at the Carolina hurricanes, a much better looking score as Seattle lost that game two to three. Now Seattle did go down early in this one off some, just some dumb mistakes. We talked about the defensive mistakes all year. We talked about the penalty kill all year. With that being said, um, our player of the game is Philip Grubauer. Grubauer had 36 saves, a 923 save percentage, a 1.04 goals saved above expectation. Grubauer was great in this game. There's no other way to put it. Again, for those who are my uh, Brandon, Brandon Seeley from 32 Crew said it best. He said uh, mobile app analysis. You know, guys that just look at the score, guys that look at the end of the game score, that look at the box score, you know, that read the boring ESPN analysis. Oops. Oops. Um, they don't look at the actual game. They don't watch the game. They don't understand what's going on. Don't properly appreciate our goaltenders necessarily, specifically Philip Grubauer. Grubauer was just excellent in this game. You can tell that from the saves, the save percentage, and the goal saved the Bucks expectation. And really, again, if we had the technology for me to sit down here and break down these goals that are scored against him, I would, but I don't have the technology. It's expensive, I imagine. Um, so with that being said, Seattle would come back home to Seattle um, for two games at Climate Pledge Arena, the first of them being last night, December 18th, versus the Winnipeg Jets. The Seattle Kraken would win that game 3-2 and an exact uh, same score, different result for the Kraken as the last time these teams matched up on November 19th. Winnipeg winning that game in overtime after a penalty by Carson Soucy in the dying seconds um, of regulation gave the Jets a power play that they would score on. Uh, Seattle is able to overcome a two-goal deficit as Jordan Eberle, our player of the game, with one goal, one point, a two plus minus, five shots and one hit, scored a sweet, sweet um, backhanded bar down goal. Uh, really a highlight reel sort of goal uh, to give Seattle their first goal of the night after some 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 solid offensive shifts, some solid offensive possession, but it hadn't been able to break through. Eberle's goal breaks through. Seattle was able to chip away, score three unanswered goals, lock down defensively. Um, and win that game ultimately. So before I go into more game discussion, we'll look at my player of the week. I went with Ryan Donato. Uh, Donato scored three goals, three points, 
had a one plus minus seven shots, one hit, five faceoff wins compared to just one faceoff loss on the week. That three goal streak is tied for his longest in his career. And Donato continues to be an impact player on those bottom two lines for this Kraken team and continues to display the depth that has been shown throughout this year. That's a big part of why this Kraken team continues to win games. So we look at those three games. Um, Again, I could talk about the defensive issues throughout the year, but we want to look at those three games. You know, again, Tampa Bay, just the way that they started that game out and the way that things went throughout the rest of the course of the game, unfortunate. Again, Andre Vasilevsky is a great goalie, one of the best in the world. You could argue Vesna, whatever. Um, on the other hand, Tampa Bay has line after line of offensive talent and defensive talent that's been together for years. You know, again, two of the last three Stanley Cups. That one, you know, that's going to be a tough game regardless. And just how poorly he started that game out gives you that four-game blow, four-goal blowout. Uh, December 15th and 18th against the Jets. The 15th, Seattle had some, again, they started out poorly, and then they were able to rally back, almost tied it up at the end, couldn't do so. But that late play in that game carried over to this game in uh, against Winnipeg. Uh Unfortunately, again, going down two goals is not ideal. Um, but Seattle was able to they, – they started the game out well offensively, but it was two uh, power plays by the Jets that were able to get the goals uh, for the Jets. Um, yeah, pardon me. Uh, Seattle had some great offensive possession to start the game. And then quick penalties by Vince Dunn and Adam Larson in secession gave the Jets a five-on-three power play, and they were able to score just like that. Um, and then in the second period, a holding the stick call on Will Borgen, uh, gave the Jets another power play and Kyle Connor's shot would be able to tap, be tapped home on a rebound by Pierre-Luc Dubois. Just, you know, you can't, can't go to the box as often as this, this team does. Your penalty kill already ranks 29th in the NHL. How much of that is linked to the team taking as many penalties as they do? Probably somewhat, um, but at the end of the day, a simple solution would be to be better about staying out of the box. They just can't do that. Um, but Seattle's, you know, they're, they're, they switched up their lines last night a little bit, which was interesting, uh, generating different chances with different lines, um, moving the McCann, Beneers, Eberly line up to the top. But again, Philip Grubauer was great in this game on five on five. He was rock solid. Uh, he made a bunch of great saves. He's very he's very uh, agile. He does the splits often. I just I never could do that. I played I played baseball, but it wasn't that athletic or ag uh, agile. Um, he was great in this game. The forward pairs looked pretty solid. You know, getting Alexiak, Jamie Alexiak, and Schultz back. That defensive pairing back was really key to this game as well. You know, it's no necessary slander on Kale Fleury or Gustavo Lofsson. Um, who suffered an injury last night with the Coachella Valley Firebirds in Coachella's first ever game in their home barn. So I hope he's okay. Um, but getting that Alexiak Schultz line back as that second D pair is huge. Is huge just for you know what you've established already chemistry-wise, um, you know, with their experience-wise, what they both bring on their respective power play and PK units, what uh they both bring offensively to this team as D pairs. So it's it it's it's a big impact to get those two back. Um Grubauer is playing well. Um, and you know, it's not necessarily in our, in our segment here, but I do want to share two pieces of information that were in our game recap article from last night's win. Uh, Jonas Donskoy, um, has been day to day and essentially just a ghost since training camp where he suffered an injury and was placed on IR on, on, on IR on October 9th. Um, 
don't want to say it means the world, but Donskoy ha- had a nameplate in a locker in the uh, Kraken locker room last night, which hasn't been there all year. So do with that information what you will. Again, hasn't been there all year, so why would you put it in now? Uh, Chris Drieger, uh, the goalie, Kraken goalie, if you remember, that tore his ACL in June uh, in the IA, IIHF World Championships with his native Canada, um, has been practicing before uh, Kraken morning skates, getting some work in in pads, uh, and he has his gear in a locker at the uh, Kraken Community Iceplex, which hasn't been there all year either. So um, I noticed that his Drieger's locker was filled earlier in the season, and then he started practicing. So I'm wondering if we might see the same correlation with Donskoy. If it happens, you heard it here first. If it doesn't, I tried, tried to help. Um, we look towards our Kraken news here. On the 13th, the team is reportedly seen as a potential trade destination for Timo Meyer. Now, this is an interesting move. It got a, it got a lot of traction on our social media. Um, but the fact should be known that Meyer has been viewed uh, by a lot of teams and is you know could be traded anywhere. Just considering the fact that the Sharks, um, the Sharks might trade a, a good a couple players. Um, Mm, 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 mm. might trade a couple players um i want to make sure i'm pronouncing meyer right um i'm gonna hope so uh and it would depend on what seattle needs to do to acquire him i've had some good discussions on twitter uh with rick judd from 32 crew where it's like if you're gonna trade for uh for timo here uh you've got to be able to have like a sign and trade situation in here or have him guarantee that he will sign an extension um, because you don't want to trade for a guy and then have him be able to leave like that when you give up assets for him. Um, because Seattle is where they are cap-wise right now, uh, you, ha- you might have to move some guys. You might have to move some restricted free agents for this upcoming season, maybe some draft picks as well. I'm just going to put that on the radar because you know Ron Francis is Ron Francis, the general manager, and we could see some moves here. Jer- Ron Francis turned Jeremy Lozano into a second-round pick. It's, if, if you understand that, then you know why I consider it that he can do a lot as a general manager. So on the 18th, uh, it was announced that Shane Wright was named captain for Team Canada uh, in their World Junior squad. Hockey Canada has announced that Kraken prospect Shane Wright will wear the C for Canada's national junior team at the 2023 uh, 2023 IIHF World Junior Championship, spanning from December 26th through January 5th in Halifax, NS Edmonton, uh, NB Ethan Del Mastro, Nathan Goucher, Dylan Gunther, and Logan Stankven, Stankoven uh, will share ron- response, uh, responsibilities as alternate captains. Uh, Wright says, I am grateful for the opportunity to represent Canada on home ice at the World Juniors. And it is a true honor to be named captain on a team with so many great players and leaders. Ethan, Nathan, Dylan, and Logan are all deserving of this recognition, and I look forward to contributing to the team's success with them as part of the leadership group. We are excited to play in front of Canadian fans in Halifax and Moncton as we look to defend the gold. So, um, but this goes, you know, I'm going to go back to the NHL draft when Montreal reportedly did not take Shane Wright because of attitude problems. Um, and this goes to the fact also that Montreal fans have taken this. I don't know why they're so upset about Shane. Maybe it was the stare down at the table. It was probably the stare down at the draft. Um, and they said he's had attitude problems. And they're like, oh, he's got attitude problems, this, this, and that. He's stuck up. I've interacted with the guy multiple times. He's always been a great guy. He's always been solid with fans. Um, 
and then being named captain of Team Canada. I mean, come on. I mean, come on. Wipe that narrative away. That's garbage. It's been garbage the whole time. So uh, to wrap up our Kraken news, here we go to uh, same day. Defender Gustav Olavsson uh, was reassigned to the Coachella Valley Firebirds. So with the moves, um, with Jamie Alexiak returning from his suspension and Justin Schultz returning from injury, uh, we found out that, uh, you know, obviously with those guys coming back, it was going to be tough for Olafson to have space here. Kale Fleury has already been the guy um, that has been seen as the seventh defenseman in the healthy scratch often. So why not send Olafson back to Coachella Valley where he's been contributing there for the most part of the year? Um, we look at some league news here on December 15th. The NHL could be adding more games to their season. The league is reportedly considering expanding the regular season to 84 games. The league is looking into having twice as many matchups between geographical rivals next season as well. So something to keep note of. Um, I know there hasn't been too much movement on that, but it is something that's being talked about, so we had to bring it to you. Uh, We'll wrap up our Kraken segment here. Looking at their record, they sit at a 17-win, 10-loss, 3-overtime loss record. Third in the Pacific Division with 39 points. They've fallen behind uh they've fallen behind the LA Kings here, who are sitting at 39 points on the year. Uh as Seattle has 37. So there's some ground to be caught up after that difficult sort of road trip against all of those good teams on the East Coast. Um, but this is you know, prime y- y- December hockey is gonna be tough. Dave Haxel talked about it in the postgame. Um and you're, you're going to be able, you're going to have to win games like you did against Winnipeg in order to find yourself in a playoff spot. Moving forward, looking ahead, the Kraken play December 20th versus the St. Louis Blues at 7 p.m. Pacific time. That is a home game at Climate Pledge Arena. And then their last game before the Christmas break is December 22nd at the Vancouver Canucks with a 7 p.m. Pacific time start. Uh, so, and then Seattle will play after the Christmas break, we'll play a few more divisional matchups as well. So great opportunity for you to really get some tiebreakers and hopefully uh, move up higher in the standings in your own division. So moving forward, we don't have any rain news necessarily. Um, there's no team news. There's no injury news. The offseason continues. There is a key part in league-related news. League-related news, though. On December 16th, the NWSL has narrowed down their expansion shirts. So Boston, Tampa Bay, and San Francisco are all reportedly finalists for the league's 14th expansion club. Uh, The Utah Royals are coming back. So one of those three teams is going to make it. If it's going to be one of these teams, I would expect it to be San Francisco. San Francisco makes the most sense. You think about California. Well, again, it would be a third Californian team, sure, whatever. Um the Bay Area makes the most sense to me. Tampa Bay don't necessarily understand it. Boston don't necessarily understand it as well. San Francisco, just you know, knowing what I do about those sports cities uh, in relation to an NBL, you know, women's soccer team, San Francisco, the Bay Area makes the most sense to me. So we'll see if that plays out, and we'll see how that goes on. But that's my pick. So uh, we don't have any SeaWolves news. SeaWolves were quiet this week. The Sea Dragons are quiet as well. Um, this this segment technically doesn't exist because the team doesn't exist at the moment, uh, at least in current active form. But the we have some sort of we we I've installed a supersonic segment for news that permeates to the supersonics and for the inevitable time when the supersonic supersonics return. So 
uh, Adam Silver in the League Newts. League Newts. My goodness, I'm off today. Uh, in a League Notes segment, Adam Silver says that a Mexico team is possible. The NBA commissioner says that there is no specific timeline for an expansion team, but that the league will be looking seriously at Mexico City. So I I would have, in, in any other connotation, I would have no issue with this. The only thing is that Seattle needs to get their team back before anybody else. Before Vegas, uh, people talking about Kansas City, and before Mexico City. Seattle has to get their NBA team back. It doesn't make sense not to. The NHL has talked about expansion beyond their current 32 teams because of the success in the markets of Las Vegas and Seattle. Now, I don't think that would work for the NHL, just considering that the Las Vegas markets and Seattle markets are great. Seattle's a great sports market already. That's why we cover it. No, I kid you. Um, and Seattle getting their Supersonics back would do huge numbers. I know that the Kraken, retail-wise, blew Las Vegas out of the water, and Las Vegas did great numbers uh, as an expansion team, and Seattle wiped the floor with them. Can you imagine the retail sales for the Supersonics? The tickets would be sold out for years, which is unfortunate, but the revenue that that would bring back throughout, um, it, it would just do so much. It would just do so much. And it would it would add more to the business. It would bring in more business to the surrounding area. You know, the Armory gets a ton of business because of the Kraken games and what they do at Climate Pledge Arena. Queen Anne as a whole does it. I'm not going to call it uptown. Um, it would be huge. It would be gigantic. So, again, I have no problem for Mexico City getting a team at some point, but Seattle has to get theirs before anybody else's. That's, that's all that is. Um, we'll wrap up here with our Seattle Star of the Week. And, you know, with the Seahawks having the week that they did um, and it being a relatively quiet news week around the other teams, I went with Philip Grubauer. Grubauer, as I've talked about, has played great since his return from injury, uh, since suffering that injury in the Colorado game, returning to help Kraken beat the Golden Knights for the first time in franchise history. And outside of one game against the Panthers where, you know, it, that was just an ugly game as a whole, Grubauer has been excellent. And, you know, I'm starting to see I have a buddy. He won't admit it to my uh, to uh, the public who's been a, a Grubauer hater from day one. And he's just recently I've just recently been able to work on him to get him to understand what's going on. So Grubauer rocks out last night, helping Seattle get the win. He was the third star of the night last night. He's our Seattle star of the week uh, to wrap up this episode on December 19th. So looking at the general. Oh, no, I lied to you. We hit 500 followers on Twitter. I apologize. Um, again, it's not the biggest milestone. There's still a lot to do. You know, maybe when we hit a thousand, we'll be happier about it. Um, we still have a lot to grow with this show and with the graphics and the articles and everything that we're doing. Um, firstly, before anything else, I want to thank uh, just the support that we've gotten on Twitter. You know, from from people in the Kraken community, whether it's my friend Mike, Shay, Maya uh ari um max uh chad you know there are a bunch of guys out there that have been really helpful mike helped us get to 400 followers helped us get a lot to that um you know a lot of those people as well whether it's you know live and the photo the work that she's done uh photo wise my apologies the work that they've done photography wise uh, you know, whether it's in the baseball season and the Kraken season, you know, the funny bits, you know, the broken bat shots, uh, the goal shots, you know, all the work that our photographers have done, whether it's been Matt, uh, Quentin, you know, Brian, in um, the work that Bell's done, chipping on Twitter, making a Twitter to uh, as as Bell, 
as co-host of this. Um, you know, 32 crew has been helpful. Emerald city hockey has been helpful. Lookout landing follows us. Um, you know, just, it's been, it's been wild. You know, I, I started this circling Seattle sports started in December, 2019 as a rinky dink podcast that just covered Seattle Seahawks games and was trying to help push the Russell Wilson for MVP narrative. God, has it changed since then, you know, and there's so much more that we look at doing in 2023 uh game previews more interviews for you immediate game uh reactions you know more episodes talking about these moves like when a trade happens not just waiting till monday we'll still do the show of course uh adding more to the podcast getting back our college posts and doing more college stuff and getting back in the university of washington coverage doing minor league coverage of you know whether it's our mariners pipeline whether it's our kraken pipeline um, there's just so much that we're going to be able to do. And we already are the only outlet that covers all of the pro teams in Seattle, not Seattle sports KGR, despite the fact that they have that name and it's a little bit uh, annoying. N nobody, not these big outlets, not the local news companies, nobody. And if they try to claim that, not nobody on Twitter either. And if they try to claim that they don't cover the rain, like they do the Seahawks, like we do, they don't cover the storm, like the Mariners, like we do. They don't cover the sea wolves like the Kraken like we do. Nobody does what Circling Seattle Sports does, and nobody will because we're going to continue to improve and continue to get better year by year, let alone week by week or day by day. It's just how it is. So I really I do want to thank everybody. Curtis, you know, behind the camera. Our guy Salman is back in Saudi, and, you know, he helped grow this show. Grow this show. Uh, the big O bringing us to Converge, helping Converge has been a big factor in this. You know, little O helping pitch it to us, to big O here, to be in the studio, to be in the Black Media Matter studio that I'm looking at right now, the sign, you know, to help us grow, help me grow as a journalist, to help this grow, to help support our teams there. It's been great. It's been awesome. It's been more than I could have thanked. And I'm only 21. We're only going to get better. I promise you that. So uh, to wrap things up, you know, the Seahawks go on the road to play the Chiefs next week, which I, the Mariners continue through their free agency period and offseason. Things things could get better there. The Storm continue through their offseason as well. The Sounders have to prepare for the Club World Cup now in Morocco. The Kraken have a few games before the Christmas break. Um, the Oil Rain offseason continues as well. The Seawolves, Dragons, um, uh, they're Supersonics as well, but they we have to wait to get them back. Uh, so that's your week in Seattle sports. Until we see you, I know that uh, Hanukkah has started. Uh, so I want to wish you a happy Hanukkah. Uh, I know Kwanzaa is coming up. Christmas is coming up. Whatever holidays that you celebrate, happy holidays to you, truly. You know, there's a lot that's going on in this uh, from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Uh, well, December 29th, my apologies. So uh, happy holidays to you. Stay safe out there. I've got my hiking boots out. I might be dramatic. I don't want to slip on any ice and crack my head open. I can't do the show then. So until we see you next week, on what it would be December 26th. Take care of yourself, be well, and do whatever you can to make today a great day.
Pino sends it in low. Go! Yeah! 